Chapter Two, Part A: Women of America by John Bruce Larris. The Sleepervox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: The Women of Mexico. The story of the women of Mexico, as that country is known today, presents few distinctive features. If that story were confined to the status of woman as found in the present inhabitants of the country of the conquistadors, there would be little to tell, since from the time of the first coming of the Spaniards to the present day, there has been but little change of consequence in the matter with which we are directly concerned. But the very mention of the name of the Spanish conquerors recalls a civilization which preceded that which we know now, a civilization which in various forms has remained impressed upon the characteristics of Mexico, and one which is therefore of some importance as well as of the greatest interest to us in our study of the progress of women in America. That civilization is, of course, that of the Aztecs, that wonderful race which held Mexico from time immemorial, or, more strictly, indeterminate, up to the hour when Cortes and his followers penetrated to their capital and began the work, to no completion in a few short years, of destroying not only a nation but a civilization, and one that was in many ways the most remarkable of which there is record. It is in no way needful to enter into the detail of general Aztec sociology. In this work, the principal interest is connected with those social aspects and influences which affect women. Yet a few words concerning the chief features of the Aztec civilization are absolutely necessary to the understanding of our subject. The Aztecs, in which general title for convenience are included the Tezcucanis, though there were differences of civilization, the Tezcucanis being in many respects superior to their neighbors, the Aztecs present in nearly every way the greatest racial mystery that has ever come under the notice of the student of comparative ethnology. Their very origin is unknown. It is impossible to discover how much of their civilization they owed to their traditions, how much may have been of gradual growth, and how much may have come to them as legacy from the still more mysterious Toltecs later probably known as Mayas, of whom remain wonderful monuments and traditional narratives preserved by the Aztecs. This people appeared in the Anhoac Valley in the 6th or 7th century, and founded their chief town, Tula, about 50 miles north of Mexico City. Their name is said to signify builders, and tradition describes to them an advanced knowledge of arts, and a remarkable culture. The supremacy of the Toltecs in the Anahuac Valley lasted till the 12th century, when they abandoned Tula and mysteriously disappeared. Among the traditions preserved, the most conspicuous concerning the Toltec women is that of Xochitl, queen of one of the latter chiefs or kings. 
Humac II, began to reign in Mexico about 995, in what is called the Toltec period. So Cheat, accompanied by her father, a nobleman, went to the court of Humac, carrying with her an offering to the king a beverage which she had invented. The king tasted the wine and desired to have more. Later, so Cheat returned to the court, and Humac, who already was fascinated with the girl, caused her to be retained and sent a message to her father that he had placed her in the care of his court ladies and would complete her education. Shortly afterward, his queen died, and Humac immediately made Zochit his queen. The labors of Don Mariano Vetia in his Historia Antigua and the researches of more modern scholars furnish us with some fragmentary history of the Aztecs before the coming of Cortes, but these fragments, in relation to the status of womanhood in those days, cannot be joined into a coherent whole, and consideration will therefore here be given to some aspects of Aztec civilization as found by the conqueror, rather than to the pre-Aztec culture. The most notable general feature of that civilization is its singular contradictions. We find a race, gentle, intelligent, refined in some respects beyond European standards of their day, and yet cannibals, at least under certain conditions. We find these people moral, with high ideals of religion and theory, and in practice holding human sacrifices as an essential part of their cult. We find them warlike and yet mild, the conquerors of the neighboring races, and yet ruling those more by force of intellect than of arms. Most wonderful of all, we find a true and high civilization, isolated from all companionship and existing by its own inherent merits, and not, as had been the case with almost all others, by contact and rivalry with others of almost equal powers. The Aztecs were versed in the arts of agriculture, mechanics, architecture, pottery, and, generally, in the domestic arts. They built beautiful cities, containing noble edifices, both private and public. Their dress was artistic and graceful, and their tastes were worthy of the highest civilization then known. They delighted in flowers, in beautiful gardens, in all manner of natural graces. They lived under the rule of an emperor, and there were many great nobles of a distinct class and holding large estates. There was a regular law of descent for these estates, and the principles of entail and of reversion to the crown were understood and practiced. There seems to have been a species of feudality as the foundation of the social order, but our knowledge in this respect is too vague to justify us in reasoning from it to any great length. There were courts of justice, with jurisdiction in civil and criminal cases, and there was the legal machinery of higher and lower courts, with the privilege of appeal. The rights of property and persons were fully, if not acutely, recognized. 
there was a regularly established priesthood of which the emperor was the official head there were admirably organized and conducted schools where morality as well as education was inculcated in short there were all the requisites though not always in modern form that we are accustomed to consider as the rightful and unique portion of the highest caucasian culture and yet this cultured and refined people practised cannibalism not only did they eat the bodies of captives taken in war and immolated upon their altars in the execution of their religious rites but according to sahagun in his historia de nuevo espana they often at private feasts sacrificed a slave and served his flesh to the assembled guests these dishes were dressed in most elaborate ways for the aztecs were excellent cooks this however only adds in its refinement of bestiality to the revolting aspect of the custom it is now time to turn from this very imperfect summary of the civilization of the aztecs to the place therein occupied by woman this place was very high higher than that gained by the sex in any other race found on the north american continent it may be stated as a general fact that woman held equal social position with man physically they were attractive their complexions being light and their hair long and black they dressed tastefully their heads being covered by a gauzy veil or wreathed with flowers or even with strings of precious stones and pearls they wore flowing robes handsomely trimmed with embroidery and their appearance was in all ways far superior to that of any other american women their status while in some respects sharing in the contradictions that we find prevalent among the aztecs was on the whole almost equal to that of their european sisters of that day it is true that polygamy that institution usually so fatal to the place of woman in the community where it is practised was permissible among the mexicans but it is probable that its practice was confined only to the most wealthy and was not invariable among them on the other hand the sanctity of the marriage tie that great safeguard for women was strongly insisted upon not only was the marriage rite formally celebrated as a religious ceremony but there was instituted a special legal tribunal for the sole purpose of hearing and deciding questions relating to marriage divorce existed but only by decree of the tribunal mentioned above and was not a matter of discretion due reason must be alleged and proved infidelity being of course the primary cause for divorce adultery was severely punished and it is a remarkable fact as showing the advance made by this people upon the conceptions of the ancient civilizations that concubinage was exceptional though slavery was an institution of the country even the slave woman however held a position advanced beyond that usual in such cases for her child was born free there was no such thing as hereditary slavery among the aztecs no other civilizations ancient or modern has been thus generous 
the practical equality of woman to man was recognized in the fact among others that women had a distinct and honourable part in the sacerdotal functions and rites though they could not participate in sacrifice the priestesses undertook the education of the girls the schools being a part of the temples here the girls were taught the feminine accomplishments peculiar to their culture as well as those of more general use such as weaving and embroidering the rich draperies used to cover the altars of their gods the strictest morality was inculcated in these schools for the aztecs were essentially a moral people and the girls were brought up in the habits of the straightest decorum this they were not likely to exceed at least while under the tutelage of the priestesses for offences were visited with the greatest severity even death being occasionally meted out as punishment for the most marked transgressions the system of these schools was to some extent conventional and reverence for religion was instilled as an integral portion of the system the education that was received by women among the early mexicans may be illustrated by a reference to the story of the lady of tula among the tuscanes at least at one time concubinage was recognized as a legitimate appendage of royalty and the lady of tula was one of the concubines of Nezahualpoli, the son of the great monarch Nezahualcoyot, and his successor as ruler of the Tezucani nation. The son of this latter king entered into a correspondence with the lady of Tula, and as the offense was capital, the youth was slain by royal command. But we are not concerned so much with the sadness of his fate or with the roman severity of his father as with the characteristics of the woman who tempted him from his allegiance to his royal sire it is told of her that though of humble birth she possessed most remarkable endowments of mind that she wrote beautiful verse and that she was often consulted upon grave matters by the king and his ministers she was given a separate establishment and maintained almost regal state the information that we have of this woman discloses a very high feminine status among the Tezcucanes, and as the chronicler of her powers expresses little or no surprise concerning them, we may assume that such education and standing as she enjoyed were not uncommon among Mexican women, even if not so high a degree as the case of the Lady of Tula to return to the women of the true aztecs when the young girl had emerged from the conventual school she took to her place in society as one of its rightful factors she participated on equal terms with the men in all social functions eating with them at the banquet and taking part in all the festivities which were so congenial to the somewhat superficial nature of that people it is true that at the banquets she sat apart from the men as did also the married women but this was simply a custom not a result of inferior status these banquets were carried on in a style not inferior to the feasts of the old romans 
the tables were covered with flowers and bowls of water and cotton napkins were furnished to each guest that they might perform before eating the ablutions which were as formal with the aztecs as with the mussulmans there were golden chafing dishes and cups and platters as well as table ornaments of the precious metal which was very common among the mexicans the feasts of the wealthy if we may credit the accounts of early writers were sumptuously provided with delicacies such as venison peccaries rabbits tuzas a species of mole fish of many names turtles iguanas turkeys quails and numerous other kinds of birds vegetables and fruits of several varieties completed the dishes the variety and quality of food here indicated suggest an epicurean supply rather than the frugal dietary to which the aztecs are reputed to have been accustomed before eating it was de rigueur to smoke the tobacco being in the form of cigars or used in pipes the former being held in dainty holders of tortoiseshell or silver but we are not informed whether or not the women participated in this part of the feast we do however know that after the banquet was concluded the elder women as well as the men drank pulque the national beverage often to a state of intoxication but the young of both sexes were rigorously excluded from this portion of the entertainment the youths and maidens danced while their elders drank a custom which has not wholly ceased in our own civilization and we can find it in the whole proceeding on these festal occasions more likeness to modern entertainments than is found even by the old spanish writer who tells us that after the distribution of gifts with which the entertainment came to a close the guests dispersed some commending the feast and others commending the bad taste or extravagance of their host in the same manner as with us while the home discipline of children like that in the public schools was of a very severe type the relations of the aztec maiden to her parents after she had arrived at maturity were of closest and tenderest description they enjoined upon her with loving solicitude for her well-being and felicity simplicity of manners and conversation personal neatness modesty of demeanour and reverence for her husband when she became a wife they showed her an affection and consideration which were in conformity with the highest type of social culture and in return were regarded and treated with respect and love when the maiden finally attained the dignity of wifehood her condition was hardly changed she received from her husband the utmost respect of demeanour and she was of course we are considering the women of the upper classes freed from all obligation of service she had maidens to wait upon her and to do the tasks of the household over which she ruled much as did a feudal chatelaine in the days of chivalry in europe and a favourite amusement with the aztec wives consisted in listening to their maidens rehearse traditionary tales and ballads when there came to her the further dignity of motherhood she was the recipient of congratulatory visits from her friends and neighbours male as well as female 
from whom she received gifts of dresses ornaments or flowers in token of sympathy and regard these visits of ceremony were regulated by a code unwritten but as thoroughly understood and binding as that which regulates similar forms in our own social world in short the aztec woman whether as maiden wife or mother received universal acknowledgment of her rightful place in the structure of society and was in almost all respects the peer of her caucasian sister in status and indeed in civilization most of what has thus far been written is applicable to the women of the lower classes as well as to their richer and more cultured countrywomen at least so far as concerns the estimation in which they were held and their place in the household and in their appropriate society of course even as with us the women of the lower classes labored but their labors were as a rule not severe the aztecs were primarily an agricultural people and their women assisted in the toil necessary to the tillage of the soil but their labors were of the lighter kinds they sowed the seed and husked the corn but they did not reap or garner while they would doubtless have rebelled in mass had they been required to undertake the more laborious tasks incident to the irrigation or actual tillage even the slave women though these of course were doomed to harder service than the wives and daughters of freemen were not generally condemned to wearing toil indeed the institution of slavery except in the case of prisoners taken in war a small class of slaves since such prisoners were usually sacrificed to the gods was milder among the aztecs than among any people of whom there is historical record the slave could marry at will could hold property and could even possess slaves of his own while as has already been said the child of a slave was independent of the status of his parent it is unfortunately true that there can be found but few names of women of importance in the history of the aztecs or indeed of the conquest itself nearly all that is to be learned is general and not particular in its import though the blood of many of the women of that period intermingled with that of the spanish cavaliers flows in the veins of a very large number of the mexicans of to-day there is yet no trustworthy record of particular names or fames it is indeed recorded that alvarado one of the right-hand men of cortez married the daughter of sicotencat a mexican chief but she was a tlascan not an aztec so as space would fail in the compass of a large volume to tell of all the civilizations which surrounded that of the aztecs and also as dona luisa as she was called by the spaniards after her baptism into the christian faith did nothing more meritorious than to bear tonatura the sun as alvarado was called by the mexicans because of his bright face and golden hair a number of children who became by intermarriage the sires and mothers of some of the noblest families of castile she does not deserve particular chronicle here it may however be well to take advantage of the introduction of this incident to make the statement that marriage between the followers of cortez 
and his successors and the native maidens who must first as an unalterable rule embrace the tenets of christianity which had borne its earliest message to them in the flame and steel of the massacre of their parents and kinsmen was adopted as matter of policy and resulted in the foundation of many lines which have continued to the present day though there is no typical aztec woman to present as representative of her sex and country there is one whose name is so welded with the history of the fall of the aztec power that a brief sketch of her story may be given here she was of mexican birth but had been sold by her unprincipled mother as a slave the mother thereby securing for her son by a second marriage the estate which otherwise would have fallen to the girl when cortez reached his first harbor on his road to tenochtitlan as the aztec capital was called the cacique of tabasco presented him with several slaves among whom was this girl called by the spaniards dona marina by the mexicans malinche she was of great beauty and of a high degree of intelligence and she soon came within the notice of cortez by acting as interpreter for him when he was embarrassed by his inability to communicate with the aztec embassy she did not at that time speak spanish but she managed to interpret through an intermediary and she soon became proficient in the language of the men with whom her lot was now thrown from one of whom she learned more than the castilian tongue the beauty of the young girl whose charms are said by spanish writers to have been extraordinary soon captivated the heart of cortez and he first made her his secretary and then his mistress at least so the fashion of our time would term her but there can be little doubt that in the eyes of marina reared amid traditions of polygamy there was nothing wrong in her union with cortez and it may be noted that such a good and moral man as father olmeda had for her of no word of reproof but rather of blessing at all events she openly lived with cortez as his wife and by him had a son don martin cortez acknowledged by his father and who afterwards became commendador of the military order of san Diego. marina was a loving faithful tender-hearted woman and she was in all ways true to her spanish lover and to his countrymen frequently extricating them from the grave difficulties by her advice given with knowledge of the nature as well as customs of the mexicans perhaps this was only to be expected but it is remarkable and speaks volumes for her character that she was always held in affectionate honor by the mexicans themselves though she dwelt in the camp of their oppressors in truth marina time and again used her influence with cortez on the side of mercy and she always displayed a profound sympathy with the misfortunes of the mexicans notwithstanding the fact that she may have in some ways aided their foes and tyrants even though the act which more than aught else struck terror into the souls of the indians the cutting off of the hands of fifty tlascalans who had come to the camp of cortez in the garb of ambassadors but were suspected of being spies 
was directly traceable to the watchfulness of marina in the cause of the man she loved she was never held culpable by the natives for her guardianship though this resulted so disastrously to those who if not precisely her countrymen were assuredly more nearly of consanguineous race than were those whom she defended from them it was these people too who after their desperate but vain struggle with the spaniards whose arms and valours proved invincible against the overwhelming numbers were the most faithful allies of cortez in his battles with the aztecs munoz carmarga relates that among other tokens of their friendship they presented numbers of beautiful maidens to the conqueror and his companions all through the wonderful march to the capital through the honorable reception accorded to cortez through the siege which was the consequence of spanish treachery through the terrible night which saw the banishment of spanish power for a time from tenochtitlan through the long march back to the coast through all perils all the triumphs marina stood by the side of her lover watchful of his welfare wise in suggestion tender in helpfulness in all things a noble type of woman when the unhappy montezuma was made prisoner within his own capital marina alone of those who surrounded him never forgot the reverence that was due the monarch and it was she who nursed him most tenderly when he lay dying under the wounds inflicted by his own outraged subjects it was she who was most uncomplainingly bore the privations of the siege she who was most bravely met the terrors of the noche triste and it may be said that it was she more than any other single woman or man alvarado and sandoval not excepted who helped cortez to establish the spanish rule in mexico the question of the gratitude of cortez for these services and for her love is one that is to be settled by each reader of history according to his own ideas of the form of which true appreciation should take the facts are simple enough in fifteen twenty five she was with the conqueror at coatzacoalco the province which could claim the honor of being her birthplace here by accident she came into contact with her own mother who had sold her into slavery and who was now naturally terrified at meeting her injured daughter in a situation of power but marina with her natural generosity embraced her parent assured her of her forgiveness and even made her many presents apparently in the wish to regain that affection which had once been hers in her babyhood this was the last time marina appears by the side of cortez on the expedition to honduras made shortly afterward he gave her away to don samario a knight of castile who wedded her according to the rites of the catholic church here then is the question which each must decide for himself was cortez just and generous in thus making disposition for the honorable and safe future of the woman who loved him or was he merely ridding himself of one who had grown to be an encumbrance it is impossible to answer it is not even known whether the marriage was arranged with the sanction of marina 
or whether it was a piece of tyranny on the part of the conqueror, of venality on the part of Don Juan, or of heartbroken docility on the part of Marina. Nor is there any record of the further life of the latter by which to decide the probabilities of her marriage being more than a mere contract. From the time of completion of the ceremony, the gentle Marina fades from the pages of history. It is certain indeed that she was given estates in Kuatsakulaku, possibly the bribe which induced Don Juan to wed the mistress of his captain. But it is not even known that she lived to take possession of these estates, except for the unmerited persecution and shameful torture undergone by her son, Don Martin Cortez, we are never again reminded in history that Marina had lived to be the right hand of one of the greatest conquerors of all time, to prove the most valuable ally found by the fierce enemies of her native land, and yet to be held in lasting honor alike by conquerors and conquered. End of chapter 2, part A.